Welcome back to Chit Talk, where we talk about really good shit. My name is Annika. And my name is Rithu. Follow us on our socials, here to Chit Talk and Instagram for sneak previews, audio clips, and more. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Let's dive in. just be your intro you think <laughs> so i was trying to come up with a really creative name for our episode and i just couldn't i was like drugs <laughs> <laughs> you know what's a really good way that we can like dive into this how what? how did how did you learn about drugs back in high school or middle school like what do they teach you how did you first hear about it okay so uh, i didn't I don't really think I had a great understanding of drugs um, until until I was in health class because that's Mm -hmm. when they address like drugs and addiction. I'm pretty sure they actually started talking about it in the fifth or sixth grade, but that's really early. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but even um, even before, like when my mom was. Um, my mom is obviously she's a nurse, so she deals with alcohol and drugs and stuff all mm-hmm. the time with like patients. But even then, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really hear about it until I was in school and it was part of my health education class. How about you? I can't recall. I think it was probably during the same. I think it was a similar health class or like a like a not a home economics class <laughs> definitely not a home <laughs> economics where they would teach you how to cook and you know make math and stuff um <laughs> just <laughs> hashtag cooking things um but they taught you you know sex ed about drugs about alcohol and just these very foundational basic knowledge of, of like other things outside of school you know that's not very relevant to school obviously you won't get tested on it but um yeah not like tested like drugs testy you know what I mean just like <laughs> like you won't have exams on it oh my god um, but yeah I think it was probably back in middle school we first like learned about it just like learned the dangers of it and growing up in Singapore are extremely prohibited prohibited there so yeah um you know it's such a taboo topic because the drug laws in Singapore are just so extreme and I think they've definitely changed since I grew up there. Um, and I think as of January, 2013, there were some changes in the law, um, depending on like how many grams you have of like, of, of drugs and stuff. But initially they would give you the death penalty. And so I grew up knowing everyone grew up knowing that if you had possession of drugs or if you were trafficking drugs, you would have the death penalty, like period you know like that's that's to a t like so do you know what sorry uh, do you know like the reasoning behind that like uh, any sort of like historical reasons as to why it was so severe not not that I know of but I think it's just to not try to like induce fear of the people and try to like you know make them conform to society and make sure that there isn't any any um any crime or harm done within the city. I think it has to do a little bit with that, but I think it also has to do with gangs within Singapore. Um, I don't know a lot too much about that, but I think it's just, they don't want, you know, the crime in Singapore to, 
to increase at all. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Singapore is a very safe place. Like Mm -hmm. my parents were very much okay with me, you know, going out to the clubs till 3 a.m. in the morning and then taking (laughs) a cab back all by myself. Like that was totally okay because crime was just so low in Singapore. And so I think that these drug laws were in place because they just wanted to, to reduce that factor. And I think it worked out fairly well, but it also made people so fearful for like trying drugs and, and, you know, just, I don't know. I feel like almost in turn, it, it almost sheltered us in a way where we just, we weren't educated about drugs at all. And so with this lack of education, um, I know quite a few people who went out to university and then just like over experimented with drugs. And so Mm. with this lack of education and this lack of like, I don't know, just, just, having this as such a taboo topic, people are just craving to to try and to experiment with it and just to go yeah. overboard with it when I think if this was introduced a little bit earlier on and if we had more knowledge surrounding this topic, then yeah. I think, you know, it wouldn't be as as crazy. I feel like it's the same thing with with alcohol too, right? With alcohol yeah. consumption, because I know that people in the States get so crazy about like drinking alcohol oh, totally. and like yeah, you know, overdoing it sometimes too. Yeah, because their their drinking age is twenty one, and so mm-hmm. like if I remember, I was talking to when I went on like a sorority retreat. I remember talking to one of the other like girls in the sorority chapter that was in Washington, and they were talking about how people didn't really experience a social life if they mm-hmm. weren't part of like a sorority or fraternity because of the ability to drink alcohol because. Right they would be able to get alcohol from like older people that are in the chapter or, you know, just things like that. And it's like, wow, people go ham because they can't Mm -hmm. have alcohol. And it's always things like that. Like the more you can't have something, the more you want to do it. That's what I've noticed, especially with young people and teenagers. (laughs) A hundred percent. I think that's definitely mentality. And like, if you prohibit someone to do it, like they're just eager to just like, you know, try a little bit more and such. So I don't know. I feel like Europeans sort of have a right. Like I know that I was introduced to wine earlier on. Um, mm. Like my grandparents would like let me have like a little sip, um, and then during Christmas time, my dad would like let me have like a little pinky dip of schnapps, and it's like a really strong <laughs> alcohol where like yeah. it would just sort of burn your throat up and oh, cool. you know get super warm and and all that. But I would just have like a small tiny pinky dip, and that was totally fine. But then I knew what it tasted like, and I wasn't too. I, I still to this day I I hate it like I don't think it's that great of a drink um but I enjoy wine every now and then but I don't go overboard with it you know yeah yeah I think yeah, yeah I think so too I mean my parents were very they were very much the same way in mm-hmm. the fact that um they they pretty much had the same situation when it came to like Christmas or anything like that like I think the the first time that we got our house in like India. My dad gave me like a glass of champagne, um, Ooh, like nice. or like like a mini little like flute of champagne to drink, mm-hmm. and I had like one sip, and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> because I was a kid, right? And I was like, ooh, I don't yeah. like. This. Um, so it definitely, um, yeah, I was I had it around, but it was never something that I felt like I needed to have a lot of, mm-hmm. um, in order to like in order to have a social life or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for high school me. High school me was a completely different person than I am now. So yeah, (laughs) her and I are totally different people. That was a second (laughs) life. Like, I don't know her at all. (laughs) 
I, it's so crazy. Uh, I actually wrote this down as like something to talk about, but um, there were a lot of drugs in my hometown. Like people were doing drugs of different kinds, like all over my hometown. And it got to the point where different high schools were known for like the drugs that they would use. You're joking. You know, oh I'm my serious. goodness. I'm for real. What um, was what was your high school? <laughs> so so what our, were you guys known our, for? It was your mascot. <laughs> our mascot. Um, it was a Panther, but um <laughs> but the um there was a program at our high school called ISP, and it's mm-hmm. called the um integrated studies program. And it is supposed to be for like kids that are struggling with their education and their learning to like be put in a more structured environment and have the support that they need to actually get things done and succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, But ironically, um, other schools um, used to say that ISP stood for I smoke pot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there were so many kids that used to smoke pot like at our high school they uh there was like um like a uh kind of like a little park near our high school and people would Mm -hmm. go over there and they would like smoke and then come back to school that was the Um, spot hey yeah that that was was the spot spot. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and then some like the high school that I lived in close proximity to um, I heard that their kids used to do like coke all the time, which is crazy. Wow. Um, you know, um, at such a young age too, yeah. your brain is still developing. So it's yeah, just, I don't know. That's that's a little concerning. Oh, super concerning. And like, sorry. Speaking of coke, the uh, like as an adult, I had this too. I don't know if you ever came to this realization, and I'm sure it was probably like starkly different for you. But mm-hmm. when I became an adult and I started like going out and doing things or experiencing like nightlife, I didn't realize how casual some drug use was. Everyone like, does coke. I know. It's <laughs> Literally everyone. Everyone, everyone like, coke. have you seen that meme where it's just like, you know, when you grow up in life, the sooner you know that everyone does coke and cheese is hella expensive. <laughs> It, tr- it truly is. <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was so shocked because like I didn't realize how casually people just went yeah. about doing it. Like I knew I knew with like weed and just like marijuana, just I knew that it was much more casual because mm-hmm. literally the first day of school when I was at UBC, somebody as I was walking to my first class was rolling a joint like literally smell on, it in the on, air. like a little like tray on their hand and they yeah. were just rolling it in front of IKB and I was like wow people are really chill about drugs a front in, in front of IKB though yeah they're getting zero studying done they are getting zero none. yeah but that's just so interesting because you know back when I was younger I would always assume and always have this idea of you know this person in a dark white you know a a dark trench coats and they've got like mysterious hat on and they'll be like sitting or like standing in the corner just like waiting to pounce on you and just like show you drugs be like hey little kids like get into my van and (laughs) you know i've got all these drugs for you but what what are you using as your reference for this i I don't know like as as a child you know they induced fear on us so we would assume that there'll be these really bad scary looking guys in Mm. dark trench coats i guess Mm -hmm. who would be like forcing drugs on us but a that's not the case because drugs are just hell expensive so no one will like give you free drugs you know yeah and b people 
people just do it casually. Like you said, like people yeah. just tend to do it, you know, when they go out for like nights out and stuff or, mm-hmm. you know, like here in Vancouver, people just do weed all the time. And mm-hmm. sometimes they do it for their own like personal well-being and benefits too, totally. which is very interesting. And I think, you know, now more recently than ever, that shift has really come into play because I think a lot of people are, you know, taking drugs for their own mental health and for their own well-beings and just, yeah, doing it for themselves and to better themselves, um, whether it's like physically or mentally and um, Mm -hmm. rather than doing it recreationally. uh, Recreationally. Wow. Big (laughs) words today. Um, Actually, before we dive into that, do you, uh, I actually wanted to, that actually got me thinking. Sure. Um, Do you think that our perspective of like what drugs was like was really just shaped by the the TV and the movies that we watch? Like hundred percent. Because hundred (laughs) percent. Honestly, like I think I had some like understanding of what you know people smoking weed was like because like I watched Pineapple Mm -hmm. Express and I was like, wow, every stoner is like that. Yeah. (laughs) Like James Franco's character in that movie, or like the Big Lebowski too. Yeah. Um, my yeah. favorite movie that I absolutely love and I still love to this day is Across the Universe. Oh, I love Have that you seen that movie? movie? Oh my God, it's such oh a sweet God, movie. At the very end, movie. where like she's on top of the building and he's on top of the other side of the building and they like sing. I, yeah. I fall every time. But I I watched that movie when I was in high school or like maybe when I was in middle school, but I never really knew that they were singing and, and talking about like LSD and, and all these sort of totally. hallucinogenics. Yeah. And it was just so interesting. Cause I was like, wow, these, um, <laughs> these visuals are so vivid and they're so textured and so interesting, yeah. but I didn't really connect the two. Cause I guess I wasn't educated about that, but um, yeah, it's just strange how some films depict drugs as, you know, generally, generally being associated with hippies or junkies or, yeah. um, you know, how they have, really heavy negative connotations to them like mm-hmm. people who have substance abuse but then again they have movies where it's like across the universe or like limitless you know yeah. where the protagonists are depicted as hardworking or ambitious and driven and goal orientated yeah um, so it, yeah it just really really depends um and yeah what it what does. I wrote here as well is that um I don't know if you've watched Requiem for a Dream from the I, I haven't it is on my list of things to watch it's a it's a good blunt movie. Um, I wouldn't recommend watching it high. Like I wouldn't, I don't know. I would definitely watch it with a friend. It's not a horror movie. It's just very blunt and just very vulgar and grotesque. Mm. And it's just, it's a nightmarish fever dream of a movie that still like <laughs> haunts me to this day. But um, Darren Aronofsky's Requiem oh, of a Dream. Why does that name um, sound familiar? Wait, did he direct Black Swan? Maybe. Um, yes, he did direct Black Swan. He also directed oh. Mother, also Fever Dream of Movies. I was going to say, all these movies have one common denominator and they're all equally f***ed <laughs> up. So <laughs> it's just a roller coaster of emotions. But um, yeah, his movie, Requiem of a Dream, I watched it once and I couldn't sleep afterwards. Like there are not a lot of movies that do that for me because like yeah. I love horror movies so much. But this movie, there was just something about it that just didn't really sit right with me. Mm-hmm. And I just felt so uneasy and so tense. And it's just because it takes you through these um, the lives of these four people who mm-hmm. who each of their lives get gradually destroyed by their own different addictions. So they have different addictions to different drugs. 
um, whether it's like heroin abuse or food even where she's like addicted mm-hmm. to just like eating. Um, and they're just trying to like fill these emotional voids that they have in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just definitely watch it. Um, but I, I don't think I can watch it for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, I would, I would definitely check it out, but also like yeah. going back to what you were saying about like across the universe and, um, limitless and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. it, the way that they depict the characters almost seems to kind of like romanticize the like drug use. And like yeah. the way that it is. So like at the same time, while it being like this va- like something that seems really far from reality because you're watching mm-hmm. it in a film, right? Yeah. It also seems like this weird like bliss state, especially when you mm-hmm. see across the universe, for example, yeah. right? Because it's like this beautiful visual masterpiece and you're just like, wow, drugs. <laughs> not <laughs> not in that way, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, exactly. And it, it almost gives you this euphoric sense, like you are taking the drugs as mm-hmm. well, right? But yeah. it's, it's so interesting that, you know, Requiem of the Dream, a uh, Requiem of a Dream and Limitless are so vast in how they depict drugs because Limitless shows you a person who takes this drug and like he's able to magically unlock parts of his brain that he wasn't able to before. And, mm-hmm. you know, he starts improving his lifestyle. He starts improving his relationships and networks and and he starts becoming a better version of himself. Mm. And that's just so interesting to me because there are drugs that have proven to have benefits like that very similarly to the drug that he took. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are always, there are always these, um, these documentaries that and articles that tell you about these people's experiences with like DMT or ayahuasca who like yeah. that unlock different spiritual parts of you and how mm-hmm. you can connect with the earth better and, and how you can um, just unlock these like different areas abilities. of your mind and yeah like really yeah exactly you, and, you know yeah. your third eye opens up and stuff but um yeah. truly you you get a different experience and you get a different perspective of the world and of yourself even sometimes too Yeah, honestly, speaking of like ayahuasca and all of that, I hadn't ever really heard about that until actually I had heard about it on TV. Um, mm. I, I Someone was saying that like they went on an ayahuasca trip or something like that and it was absolutely crazy. I personally had no like experience with like any sort of like hallucinogenic drug. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I have no idea what that would be like. But didn't you go to Peru? I did. Yeah. So I went to Peru with my previous partner. Uh, we were there for about two weeks. It was, I, I love it. I definitely want to go back in a heartbeat. Peru was just such a incredible experience and the people are so nice. Um, but yeah, there was just so many tours that were, um, just showcased to tourists there that were like ayahuasca tours and Mm -hmm. how they were very expensive too. So they'd be like 200 us dollars per person, um, which is crazy. Cause I'm like, (laughs) I had to Google it afterwards. I'm like, you know, what is an ayahuasca trip? Like (laughs) you actually do. And so I was looking it up. Um, cause, uh, my partner was sort of egging me on a little bit. It was just like, Hey, you know, we should try this, you know, when in Peru, you should try this out. And I was like, hang on, I don't think this is the right call 
because a you're pushing me to do something that I'm not quite comfortable with mm-hmm. like what if I'm not in that right headspace for it like what if I'm not like mentally prepared for this and I'm glad that I said no because um it's a very very strong drug right and so I was reading these articles how you would just um you would throw up and you Ooh. would just regurgitate everything inside of you. So you, you have to fast about eight hours prior to wow, that. Wow, really? Um, and so, yeah. And so basically you're in this large room and you're, you're meant to have a shaman with you to take you through the process. He's meant to calm you down. He's meant to be there with you. He's meant to like play music. Um, and you're meant to drink this, this brew of ayahuasca tea. Um, mm-hmm. and you just, you just expel everything out of you. So during the first mm-hmm. like half hour to an hour, you're just like throwing up, vomiting, like shitting yourself. Like it just sounds like a horrible, <laughs> horrible time. And I'm like, wow, to pay $200 to do that. Like I'd rather go for like some fine dining restaurant. Like yeah. I would much rather keep rather food inside food of me instead of puking it all out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like I'd like to eat the food and keep it inside me. Thank yes. you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like a lot of people view this as as a spiritual awakening because it takes you through um i think it, it takes you between 2 to 6 hours for you to like really peak and have this experience but it just sounds so i don't know it's like nothing i've ever heard of before and i've only been introduced into this like most recently but um netflix has these very interesting documentaries like unwell um as well as um I think there was one called DMT, like the, mm. the spirit molecule or something like that. And mm-hmm. these fascinate me so much. Like I'm I'm too terrified to try it myself, but to hear yeah. these experiences from other people is just so interesting because people would, um, especially for DMT, which is slightly different variant of mm-hmm. um, ayahuasca, but they would have almost the same exact visual where they would see this um, almost larger being um, tell them about, you know, their past future and how they can improve themselves. And, um, with ayahuasca, people would then learn how to better themselves. They almost like Mm -hmm. see their life flash before their eyes. They see their past future and like what's ahead of them. And Mm -hmm. it's just so interesting to like hear about these encounters, but, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. My computer just like (laughs) closed its lights. Like it just like shut down. I was so scared. Um, oh my God, me with like technical stuff always. That's okay. Um, um, I was actually just gonna uh, say that ayahuasca just seems uh, it seems very similar to mushrooms, um, like or or at least the that like spiritual journey. Um, I guess because I well, like I mean, some of some of my friends that have done mushrooms have have like gone on to say that they've like gone into a trip doing mushrooms, like looking for an answer and then Mm -hmm. they came to a realization at the end of it so probably not the same as like having having like um an spiritual being come in and like act like act as a healer or a guide but like just opening up thoughts that I guess you wouldn't normally have before yeah 100 percent. I think where it differs is that like ayahuasca is so much stronger where um, actually the part in your brain where it helps you with seeing, um, and mm. how it like digests what you're seeing in front of you, mm. that opens up a lot more as you take ayahuasca. So even when you're closing your eyes or when you have your eyes open, you're not seeing what's in front of you, but you have different visuals in front of you. So you're actually seeing a whole lot of other shit, oh. um, that's not in front of you with shrooms. Like y- you can see things, but obviously yeah. everything's a little bit warped. There's more vibrancy in the color. Um, 
And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how it enlightens you and it gives you a euphoric feeling and makes you one with nature. Um, mm. Just because a lot of people, <laughs> myself included, um, we just do it in nature and you just, you know, have a sense of creativity and just like yeah. liveliness. And it's just, just this fun euphoric feeling. But ayahuasca is just, it's very bizarre because you will see things that are just not in front of you. And it's just, yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but it yeah. just, it I mean, just well, obviously you haven't experienced it either, so you can't really no. <laughs> speak from a point of knowledge either. But, uh, I guess, well, now I'm just thinking it seems ayahuasca seems more along the lines of LSD because LSD can mm. actually, it can actually like present, uh, different things to you as you're using it from what I gather. Right. Um, but actually, uh, that got me on a train of thought, but, um, did you ever hear about that woman that um, she took LSD and she painted a self-portrait for nine hours? I think I've seen that. Yeah. So yeah, basically, I've definitely seen it. Yeah. So she she took uh, LSD and she basically uh, was asked to paint a portrait of herself uh, mm-hmm. with whatever instruments she was given for and for every hour of the nine and a half hours which she was like experiencing the high of LSD and it Mm. is super, super cool because you see like, yeah, you see the way that she sees herself. Mm -hmm. um, And there are so many different colors and like the, um, the way she looks, what she sees herself as is like so completely different. Um, And it was, yeah, it was super, super cool. And then towards the end of the trip, she looks like she's drawing a Picasso picture because everything <laughs> doesn't really match and it's all like geometric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like she, yeah. it was so funny. Like I think at the very end of that, she was like, um, uh, the, the researchers asked her to draw a picture of herself normally. And she was like, I'll try. <laughs> she's like, I don't think I can, but I'll try. Yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating, though. I, I'll have to revisit that again, because I remember the colors being so vivid. And she's like trying to use the colors that she's seeing and depicting like through the mirror when she's like seeing herself. Mm-hmm. But I can also like, I I would feel like a little bit uncomfortable, like seeing my own reflection on drugs at the same time, because I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, your whole face will be warped and be a little bit distorted. So I don't know, I feel like personally, I would probably refrain from like looking in the mirror. <laughs> just because I like look funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually, I actually don't know what LSD is made of. Do you know what LSD is made of? Um, not really. Um, yeah, I oh, man made though. Oh, it is man made. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's actually um just got it down here. Um, just a really quick breakdown of LSD and some of the hallucinogens. But LSD is a hallucinogenic drug that was first synthesized by Albert Hoffman, who was a Swedish scientist. Oh my goodness, I am so sorry. <laughs> Swiss scientist. <laughs> I was almost gonna take credit for that. A Swiss scientist in the 1930s. Um, and then shortly after during the Cold War. Interestingly enough, the CIA conducted very secretive experiments with said LSD for mind mm-hmm. control and information gathering and other purposes. Ooh. But then this drug obviously became a counterculture um, symbol in the 1960s, especially with the Civil War that was going on. And um, um, then it was being used at um, festivals and, and parties and such. And it was... And then that's how it's like really associated with the 60s and, and yeah. the hippie culture and, and all that. Mm. Um, but 
yeah just actually that that reminds me um I actually brought a fun fact for today I'm going to count that as your fun fact okay Um, that's my fun fact uh, (laughs) as as the fact that the CIA used it for secretive um experiments um is that weird no no though I'm going to count that as your fun fact I'll tell you mine okay so there there is this fish called uh sarpa sarpa selpa and it's uh it's also known as the dream fish and it's wide widely known for it's like there's this really really large word and i don't know how to say it i literally googled how to say it and google didn't even present what it's <laughs> oh no <laughs> what it was pronounced as but let's just say it has um both auditory and visual hallucinogenic effects that last a total of 36 hours post-ingestion. Wait, so if we eat and ingest this fish, it would give us hallucinogenic like symptoms and side effects. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, for 36 Uh, hours. 36 hours? That's more than ayahuasca. (laughs) Yeah. So apparently, apparently, um, this this came to like came to be known. I'm sure that like local people knew of this, but Mm -hmm. um, this came to be known in an article in like 2006 where two people like ingested this fish, um, and they wrote by accident. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they wrote about it, basically saying that they had like both auditory and visual effects, like pretty much 36 hours after they had ingested the food. Oh man, they they're gonna have to cancel their entire week and weekend after that. (laughs) (laughs) No plans for the rest of the next two days. (laughs) Yeah. But how cool is that? Like most of the time when you think of like hallucinogenic things, you think of like plants or mushrooms or like man-made things. But then the fact that a fish gives you hallucinogenic effects is crazy. That is really insane. Where where's the fish located? Like what region? Uh, What sea? I am not sure, but I can check. Let me see. Um, it is called a Salema porgy. It is, it is a type of sea bream that can Ooh. be found in the East Atlantic and it ranges from the Bay of Biscay, which is like, um, near the Spanish border to mm-hmm. South Africa, as well as the, um, the Mediterranean. And it says it's occasionally been found as far North as Great Britain. Wow. Well, the Bay of Biscay is a little risque, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, how cool is that? That's very neat. I wonder how the other fish that are a little bit larger than it would like, I don't know, have similar. Yeah. Would they have similar side effects? Would they not? Is it something that we have that's innate that, you know, we can't digest or we can't break down? Because the thing with like mushrooms is that like, the mushrooms are practically poisonous and they're trying to poison us, but instead mm-hmm. of fully poisoning us because we're too large to like, you know, get, get poisoned by it and die mm-hmm. from it, we start seeing visuals and we start seeing things, but it's, it's actually just the mushroom just trying to kill us. So I wonder yeah. if it's the same thing with fish. I wonder if the fish that are larger than it, that are trying to consume it are seeing the exact same things are, that we are, or if they just die, or if it's like a response to, um, you know, being prey. Yeah. You know what? We have to ask Jacques Cousteau to check out, check this out and find out. Is Jacques Cousteau still alive? I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, I, yeah, I think it's super cool. That is something that Mm -hmm. I think would be interesting to see um, 
as well. Actually, sorry, I'm looking at this article right now, and it's basically saying that the uh, hallucinations were described as frightening, and they were reported to have occurred two hours after the fish was ingested and had a total duration of 36 hours. Frightening and 36 hours? Oh my god. You were talking about like ingesting ingesting mushrooms that are like mm. poisonous to us, but like people are microdosing mushrooms these days. That's true. That's yeah. very true. And it's definitely uh, become more of a like um a well-being culture more than ever now. Yeah. Do you mm. know what the what the purpose of microdosing mushrooms is? I think it's very similar to like microdosing. THC or CBD where it's just meant to relax you, help with anxiety, um, improve mood, improve um, creativity. And oh, so I actually um, found this really interesting article from Forbes and The Cut where mm-hmm. they had a breakdown um, of the different microdosing effects mm. of like both LSD and mushrooms and cannabis too, actually. So oh, cool. Yeah. So let me hear it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So starting with cannabis, um, well, actually, maybe we should talk about microdosing first and like what microdosing is. Um, So microdosing refers to the practice of using very, very small amounts of psychedelics, uh, whether it's like LSD, um, MDMA, DMT, um, cannabis or shrooms. Um, But the idea is not to get completely high and overdo it, but to achieve a better equilibrium and to achieve better um, well-being. So a typical microdose is anywhere between 5 to 10% of a normal dose. So it's super, super small. Um, it's not going to give you like crazy visuals or like going to get you super high. Um, but yeah, just for example, a typical dose of mushrooms is um, one to one and a half grams. And a microdose would be anywhere from 50 to 150 milligrams. So it's very, very small amounts. Mm. And um, for things like cannabis, um, the microdosing effects for it um, can be found to be helpful for a wide variety of physical conditions. This I found very interesting. So mm-hmm. physical pain um, and conditions like chronic pain, nausea, inflammation, indigestion oh, is interesting. interesting. I wonder if it'll help with lactose intolerance. I'll have to <laughs> I don't think anything with your lactose pills <laughs> will help you with your lactose intolerance. I don't know. We can try it out. We can do like a little <laughs> experimentation. Um, and some other things like PTSD associated insomnia and even nightmares. Um, can be helped with these microdosing effects, mm. but it can also help with mood. So it can actually boost your interest in your surroundings, creativity, happiness, and focus. And it can yeah. also combat stress. Yeah, I think I think using using weed for stress has just been like a <laughs> just a common thing. Like mm-hmm. um, I, my old roommate, she used to she used to like have uh, take marijuana, like whether it was by smoking it or ingesting it, but, uh, for her chronic pain, but it also used Mm -hmm. to help with her nausea and, uh, with her anxiety. I think that's like a common use for cannabis in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, now it's so common in Vancouver because they just legalized it recently. So every other street corner that you have, um, is a cannabis store. Really? Oh, totally. Yeah. So there's one just downstairs from where I live. Um, and 
it's, you know, it's nothing dingy. It's not like gross looking. It's not like a person with a large trench coat is outside <laughs> just waiting for you to like, you know, come in little kids, <laughs> like come on in. Um, it's, it's super bright. It's like very professional. It looks very expensive. Too. It honestly like, does. I've walked oh past God. there. It looks like so fancy on the inside. Yeah. And they've got like tropical palm trees and sound like it's a very refreshing calm like warm and welcoming vibe and mm. i think it's a hawaiian com- company sure I, I, I have no idea um, i actually well, it's no very idea. very hawaiian-esque vibes like it has <laughs> this very tropical like you know come surf come play like come dance <laughs> with so me like, <laughs> um but yeah well, i go to chum sometimes to grab a small little bottle of cbd oil for myself sometimes because mm. i feel like that helps me relax and I tend to get very very bad um anxiety sometimes mm-hmm. um especially when I work um so yeah. it just helps like stress and anxiety um so it elevates alleviates that excuse me it doesn't elevate that <laughs> <laughs> that'll be counterintuitive um but it alleviates that and um I tend to have really bad insomnia sometimes like you know my mind just races and I can't go to sleep till like three in the morning so mm. um instead of taking like melatonin like I do sometimes or like chamomile tea which doesn't really help sometimes mm. I would just take like a very small drop um underneath my tongue of just CBD oil and so like CBD and THC are very different where like the THC parts of cannabis um mm-hmm. It gives you the effects of being high, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take a ton of THC, um, it would give you, you know, head high, like it would feel yeah. you feel like a little bit dizzy, um, or like not really dizzy, but just like not woozy. quite present. You, you know? feel woozy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um sorry, uh, just to jump in there, I actually yeah. read this article where it was basically talking about the history of CBD and they didn't realize the difference between the compounds of like CBD and THC in cannabis until 1963. So, oh. yeah. So basically, um, there was this doctor, Dr. Raphael Machulam, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And so he made one of the first breakthroughs towards understanding the effects of cannabinoids in 19, um, 1963. So he identified the stereochemistry of CBD in general, like what that actually looked mm-hmm. like and broke the compound out and then a year later um they made another discovery or like another breakthrough talking about thc and its relationship in direct effect with cbd in marijuana use so okay. they were they were able to distinguish the fact that like cbd is not mind altering and thc actually is yeah, a hundred percent. I can definitely confirm on that. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a lot of people. That's so fascinating. Cause like I yeah, there's so much research that's research that is just so recent because prior to to this, like there hasn't been a lot of research at all for any of these drugs, right? So I think mm-hmm. now it's become more open and it's become more more common to research on drugs and to find these like different differentiate uh differentiations between between the compounds of um of cannabis yeah and like it's crazy too because like you mentioned earlier cannabis wasn't legalized until 2018 so like you know that was a year after we graduated from university and yeah Yeah, um, it was yeah and so like thinking about the fact that like it was illegal for so long and i think you mentioned some of the penalties for drug possession in um 
in Singapore and it in India as well. Like it's they're very stern about drugs, even mm-hmm. though like the illicit drug trade in India is like one of the most notable things about India. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's actually so one of the one of the things I think it was like in a 2018 report, but basically India is like one of the one of the major hubs for the drug trade. Um, oh shit! <laughs> yeah, and um, so cannabis is like pretty much the f- most frequently seized narcotic drug in South Asia. Mm-hmm. India alone accounted for 6% of the world's cannabis seizures in 2016, which was 300 tons. Holy um, moly. Yeah. yeah. And then they reported seizing even higher quantities in 2017, which was 353 tons, a 20% increase. Which, wow. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, that's that's besides the point. But like mm-hmm. either way, even considering like the role that cannabis plays in in our current like both Singapore and India, like the first time cannabis was used, like it has dated back to 2737 B.C. So wow. um, that was pretty much so the this article that I was reading was they said that the Chinese emperor Sheng none used a cannabis infused tea to aid with a variety of ailments including memory rheumatism and gout like you mentioned like helping with chronic pain and stuff like that right Mm -hmm. um and then queen victoria was believed to have used cbd to alleviate menstrual cramps um oh yeah isn't that crazy damn yeah queen victoria maybe i should start (laughs) doing that yeah and really bad cramps i should probably try doing that (laughs) But but also the fact that, you know, people were using marijuana for so long and it didn't mm. get legalized until 2018 is actually crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, reading up like so uh, there's there's um, the Controlled Substances Act that controls basically all of the drug laws in Canada. Mm-hmm. But um any regulation of drugs in Canada didn't really happen until I think about 1908. And mm. in um, 1988, cannabis became a p- initiable offense. And so, you know how you mentioned like the I don't remember what the amount was for uh, getting fined for drugs in Singapore, but people in possession of drugs, uh, especially cannabis in like 1988 could get charged up to a hundred thousand dollars oh in wow. fines for possession I yeah i think that's almost similar to what it is now in singapore yeah so i think i previously mentioned that you know when i was younger it would just go straight to the death penalty right like any mm. possession um, any possession or drug trafficking would go straight to death penalties but i think now um as of 2013 they've altered it slightly so um, if you are possessed, oh my God, if you are possessed by a drug, <laughs> if you are in possession of drugs, um, if it's a small amount of drugs, I'm, I'm not too sure how small it has to be, mm. but the fines could be up to um, 20,000 Singapore dollars to a maximum of 10 years in prison. Um, so it really depends on the type of drug and the amount that you have. Mm. So um I'm not too sure if they've done away with the death penalty. Can't really speak for that, but I know that they've lowered the charges. So um, it's so I think they might just permit to either life sentences now or fines up to twenty thousand dollars, depending on the drugs that you have. 
That's crazy. And like, uh, I was looking up the reasoning as to why um, cannabis was legalized, right in Canada, Mm -hmm. because I was just like, it was in the it was in talks for so long, you know, like so long, like, also think about how many years we've lived in Vancouver, and the amount of times that smoke is just emitting from the city on 420 like oh my goodness yeah like a whole party down there (laughs) yeah a total party down there yeah and like you know the amount of times that like people used to just push the the cannabis agenda right Mm -hmm. you know we should be legalizing marijuana like that's just the way that it should be right and so when I looked into the reasoning as to why people were trying to legalize cannabis, at least from a legislative standpoint, was because they wanted to keep weed out of the hands of youth because Mm -hmm. by legalizing it, you know, you're regulating it to people that are like the same, same for us, like as having alcohol. Like I think for us, we have to be 19 in BC in order to get alcohol. The same goes for weed. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's making sure that adults have access to it and uh, protecting public health to make sure that adults have the proper access to it. And then also, and I think this is the kicker. And I think this is Mm -hmm. the primary reason why, even though, you know, they're saying we want to keep it out of the hands of youths um, (laughs) or like uh, we want to make sure adults have access to it. I think this point, which is keeping the profits out of the pockets of criminals. Mm-hmm. is the real reason why the government right. legalized marijuana. And the fact that the government is actually regulating it now provides and brings them so much profit. Like mm-hmm. it is a whole new avenue for the government to make money because it you know it's getting yeah. taxed. You know, uh, people need to be regulating. Like, so, like you mentioned, there were so many uh, cannabis dispensaries all around Vancouver, but like how many of them closed down? after weed was legalized there was quite a few of them especially along main street as well um that have definitely closed from it that have just yeah. like lost profits because now when i look on the the websites for some of these newer um and more recent shops that sell cannabis they're far more expensive than what they used to be like yeah. two three years ago right yeah. and so i think the taxes involved for the consumer to pay for these um, has gone up drastically. So I think, you know, you're completely right with Vancouver and Canada opening up a new avenue and making profits so that they could have more consumers. Yeah. But I think also there's another portion of it where I think Canada has opened up to the legalization of, of drugs to, I think, provide people access to whether it's heroin or or other like class A drugs mm-hmm. um, due to like rehabilitation issues and mm. because of people who are going through rehab and going through withdrawals. And I think they're trying to provide that accessibility to these people so they can get back in track and maybe, you know, lessen the load on them if they're still dealing with them, um, with criminals who are selling them and who are giving them worse types of drugs you know yeah. so I think, I think there's more going to be more pharmaceutically grade and I yeah. think they're going to be regulated more so than people who are just going to buy them off the streets and just use them on the side of the road you know yeah um, I mean the yeah. hope the hope is that the government actually gives a shit and they yeah, actually <laughs> do regulate these class a drugs for those people that are in rehabilitative positions to actually like get the help that they need mm-hmm. but um 
you know, we won't really know until we get there. I think right now they're in the process of talking about legalizing shrooms, which is like something that I never thought would happen in my lifetime. (laughs) You know, I thought, I thought weed maybe like, you know, I was like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, possibly. Um, But yeah, I, I, I think that as you mentioned, there needs to be a lot of regulation and like really in-depth like ways to do that in order for the safety of the public to remain mm-hmm. like remain at peace. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that you know having weed be legalized, like I can see that happening in our future for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if that's gonna ever happen in Singapore. I mean it would be nice <laughs> if it would, but um I don't know if that's ever gonna happen. It's just so interesting because we've had alcohol and cigarettes far longer than any Mm. of these drugs Mm -hmm. but they do so much more damage to us totally um, mentally and physically and um yeah they're just they're drugs in itself and you know people are prescribed other drugs too for adhd or for other things and Mm -hmm. these aren't regulated too like i know people who sell each other ritalin and and oh yeah other um other oh my goodness what is it called Adderall right Mm -hmm. so people give each other like Adderall and Ritalin throughout university and I'm like why isn't this why isn't this more regulated you know so it's just very bizarre um but yeah I don't know what it's going to be like in the next five ten years right I feel like the government is like slow to learn about what the what the situation like they're they're hard to get down with the kids you know what I mean like they don't know what the fuck is actually going on um until much later when it actually becomes like an epidemic or a problem but they Um, sure like their cigarettes and lung cancer oh my gosh yeah (laughs) like imagine (laughs) imagine people using weed for like as long as they can remember and like mm. cigarettes are legalized <laughs> and makes that no has sense. rat poison in it like <laughs> it has tar in it like, yeah get that off the market yeah yeah <sighs> but not to backtrack not to backtrack too yeah. much um but yeah just trying to loop that hole in um the other microdosing effects for lsd and um shrooms um just because i think these will definitely be introduced um sooner i think like within the next five years i think that'll definitely be introduced um here in vancouver i think because Mm -hmm. we're more um open and Mm -hmm. welcoming to we're down with the kids we're down (laughs) with the kids (laughs) but what i found interesting was that the microdosing effects for mushrooms um is that people tend to find an increase in focus and energy and it also helps people um wean off antidepressants and other um toxic uh um not side effects but um toxic addictions Mm. so if it's like cigarettes or other unhealthy addictions it'll help users wean off that um and for lsd the microdosing effects for lsd um users tend to experience a boost in energy and focus as well and um, a feeling that life is meaningful, which is Aww. which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and so, with a proper microdose, according to users, 
is like a day in which you've gotten enough sleep and eaten well. Wow. <laughs> which I need more should in my life. Should we be microdosing I, LSD? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should microdose LSD on a work day on a regular nine to five. Yeah. Can you imagine? Um, but yeah, so microdosing LSD is often used to help users detach from addictions as well, from cigarettes and heroin. And many LSD microdosers find that it's made easier to lose weight, stop drinking, and and it also enhances their mood and lifestyle. Wow, that's fascinating. Right up our alley. (laughs) I'm like, where can I get my hands on this? (laughs) It sounds like that drug from like Limitless, where it just like changes your, you know, your whole lifestyle and improves your life drastically. I'm like, I need that. Helps me lose weight. That's (laughs) that's all I need to know. (laughs) Yeah, I I think, yeah, I think that. You know, if things like shrooms and LSD can actually uh, microdosing, it can actually help people like get through their addiction because addiction is like one f-ing bitch. Like <laughs> addiction is a bitch, and it really is something that people need as much help as they can because it's one of those things that's an illness. You can't like once you're in it, it's so hard to get out, right? Mm-hmm. And so okay. if if any sort of microdosing of these other types of drugs um, can help, I like. I think I'm all for it. Just the government has to good do a good job of regulating it. Yeah, I completely agree. Oh, and also it says here, many speak to the drug's ability for shrooms microdosing effects um, as an increase of empathy too. That's so cute. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean that that. That's something that I think a lot of people could use. <laughs> I think we need more of that in life yeah. right now. I think that's a good, like, ending this on a high note. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening to our episode. This was an awesome episode. I learned a lot, didn't you? I learned so much. This was so fascinating. This was so much fun to just, like, chat about, too. And hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, that maybe in the next episode of this part two, we'll have um, someone to bring on to discuss this more. Oh, yeah, that would be super cool. That'd be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening. And Annika, where can people follow us? You can find us on our socials at Here to Chit Talk on Instagram for more fun clips and sneak previews, or on our website, chittalkpodcast.com for other episodes, blog posts, features, and more. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.